0: Let's pray together. God, that, that's our hope. That as a result of how we live our lives, how we carry ourselves, how we show honor to you and love to those around us, that they would experience the love of the eternal Father. They would hear your kindness break through in our lives they would receive your compassion through our words and our posture and our generosity. God, I pray that you would use our resources and our passions and our relationships to further your kingdom here in this town in our lifetime, both for your glory and for our joy. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. You heard David and Esther talk about the Christmas store and for those of you who aren't familiar Christmas store is something that Central does in just a couple weeks to serve uh, families that are in crisis or families that are under-resourced here in our community. So what happens is families register to be a part of this program and then they'll they'll come through our main doors and they'll kind of meet a host and a host will walk them into this room and I here on this stage there will be toys assorted that in age specific kind of areas, and they'll have a chance to shop for gifts uh, for their children, and then they'll take those gifts back out into the lobby, and while their children are being watched somewhere else playing in the playland, they'll have a chance to wrap those gifts, and then uh, they'll have an opportunity to have a spiritual conversation with volunteers and some of our staffing team who could just talk, talk with them, pray for them, show them the Father's love, the compassion of Christ, in many of which, as you heard David Esther's story, are, are going through very challenging set of circumstances. A few months ago, I, I was just kind of making small talk with a woman who was cutting my hair, and I, she found out that I worked at Central, and she goes, oh, my family was a recipient of a Christmas store gift not too long ago, and she went on to tell me about how she and at the time her boyfriend came from a very challenging set of uh, just fam- their family backgrounds were, were very intense. There was, a lot, there was a lot of chaos, and there was a lot of uncertainty, and there was a lot of pain in their respective stories. They had two young children, and they were both kind of living in transitional housing, struggling through their own journey with addiction, and they had a chance to come to the Christmas store, and it was their, their initial point of entry to this church, and she talked about how overwhelmed they were with the kindness and how meaningful that specific Christmas was to their children as a result of your generosity and your compassion. And since that moment, she told me that she and her, husband, uh, she and her boyfriend went on to, to get married. They found housing of their own. They're saving to buy a house. They plugged into a local church, and they, they've turned the corner, and they're back on their feet. And she taught, told me about how excited she is to be in a place where she could give back, where she could kind of pay it forward to another family who is now where she was then. So if you haven't already signed up to volunteer for the Christmas Store, we still need a handful of people with a very specific skill set. We're looking for people uh, who speak Spanish and who can translate for our Spanish-speaking guests who are going to be coming through the Christmas Store. So if that's you and you're free on the day of Christmas Store, there's a table out in the lobby. My good friend um, Mason Rosado was kind of staffing that, and he'd love to get your information and talk to you about how that can work. Also, if you haven't already grabbed a green bag to fill with toys, you can do that. And you'll notice that on each bag, there's a different colored card that indicates the age group that you're buying for. And the people who are running the Christmas store tell me that the age group that has the most need at this point is 9 to 11 year olds. We're looking for people who can buy gifts for 9 to 11 year olds. So just this past weekend, uh, my wife was saying, Hey, um, I'm buying gifts. And I went in and saw that, like, I didn't even have to go to Target this year because she ordered it all online. So it's getting shipped to our house. I I work here anyway, and I get a chance to bring the gifts here to the building. And as you heard in the opening announcement uh, video, all of, we need all of those gifts here on site by next Sunday. And then a team of volunteers is going to have a chance to organize those. And the Christmas store is going to be a day that we want you to be either serving at, uh, filling a bag for, and if, if none of those, at least praying for us, that God would allow this to be a moment for people who feel like they might be overlooked or might be forgotten or have fallen on hard times to know that they matter to God. And they can know that because we've communicated that they matter to us. So today is the first kind of Sunday leading up to Advent. Some people observe Advent very kind of, in a very scripted manner. We're a little bit more loose about it here at Central. I'm reading a passage that many of us associate with Christmas, but the reason that I'm doing that is to kind of get our minds and hearts ready for our Christmas experience. And if you're new to Central, Christmas experience is something that happens the last weekend before the actual Christmas day. It's a service that's filled with artistic elements and music and people are going to have a chance to hear the message of Jesus in a non-threatening, uh, very safe, comfortable, and compelling way. So when you leave, you're going to have an opportunity to grab one of these cards that give you the dates. Uh, Friday the 21st, Saturday the 22nd at 7 p.m. and Sunday the 23rd at 10 a.m. You're going to hear more about this in the moments to come. I want to ask you this question. How many of you already have your family Christmas trees set up? How many of you guys already done that? Okay, good. Let me ask a follow-up question. How many of you actually went into the forest and cut violently cut down a tree and moved it into your home? How many of you did that the way that God intended Christmas to happen? Thank you. Um, last year, our, our family went tree shopping, and we went to the tree farm, and we're looking to cut down a tree, and how many of you know if you have got more than one person cutting down a tree, takes about nine times longer than it should, right? I think over the years, my wife Kelly and I have learned that finding a Christmas tree in the wild is like taking a multiple choice test. The first tree that you see is always going to be your best option, all right? You can look around for an hour, and you're always going to come back to the first one that you saw. Last year, there was much weeping and wailing in our household because our only son, the tree that he favored, did not get selected by the committee so I think we left the tree lot in tears that year. Uh, He was very frustrated. Christmas got started off on the wrong foot. To his delight, this year, the tree that he recommended was the tree that was chosen. And let me tell you how that went. We had a tree that we were looking at, and he was yelling at us from a couple of rows of trees away, saying, I have found it! You must come and see. So he gathered everybody, and sure enough, it, 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 it checked the height box, it checked the symmetry box, there were a lot of dead spots. And so much to Josiah, our nine-year-old's delight, his tree was the tree that was chosen. He was a tree evangelist, and now his choice is sitting in our living room. He was somebody who was so passionate about something that he thought was majestic and beautiful and glorious that he couldn't help but tell everybody around him. And today we're talking about this. What what does it mean to tell the story? What does it mean to find something that is amazing to you and be so overwhelmed with excitement and energy and passion that you cannot restrain yourself? You You don't just want to tell other people about what you found. You have to tell other people about what you found. You can't not tell them about what you found. And in the Christmas story, the shepherds model this well. So after we set up our Christmas tree, our other tradition, uh, Thanksgiving weekend, is that we set up our nativity scene. And the great debate that we have when we set up the manger scene on our kitchen mantle is you've got three wise men, but you only have one shepherd, but the shepherd has two sheep and a donkey. So the question is, do you theme people by their groups and have it like unbalanced by height? Because you have all these adults here and all these animals over here. Or do you actually take one of the wise men and have thematic incongruity and put him over by the shepherd? That's what we've done. We just kind of pretend that one of the wise men couldn't get along with the other two. And it kind of balances the whole scene out. See, sometimes I forget that these people are more than figurines and symbols. They were like actual people. And they had names and homes and families and struggles and hurts and dreams. So I'm going to kind of fast forward us to the Christmas story and take a look at the lives of these unnamed shepherds as we find them in Luke chapter 2. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, he's the Lord. This will be a sign you. you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The shepherds returned to the fields glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So at the very beginning of the story, we have this image of these shepherds frozen in fear. And just a few verses later, we have them radically mobilized for mission. And my question is, what happened in between these two moments that took them from being kind of crumpled in the fetal position on the ground to be sprinting through the streets of Bethlehem declaring good news. Maybe, maybe it's because they had a journey that took them from fear through hope and into witness. The story starts with them falling down in fear. It says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were Terrified. If you ever have a chance to go to modern-day Bethlehem and go to this historic site that tradition calls the shepherd's fields, you'll know that at night, it gets pitch dark. These rolling hills block out any exterior lights, and on a moonless night, you probably wouldn't even be able to see your hand in front of your face. On top of that, it's kind of a... They've got rolling hills, but it's a barren landscape. There's very little cover. So if you needed to run for your life, there really wouldn't be anywhere for you to go and hide on top of that, the shepherds would have been the lowest of the low in their particular historical context. They had no weapons. They had no leverage. They had no status. They couldn't call for backup or reinforcements or, or, or help from the law. They were completely and totally on their own, and they were facing a set of circumstances that they did not understand. And today, maybe you walked into this room, and that describes your story too. You feel alone and overwhelmed. You're stuck in fear. You're facing what seems like an impossible fight. You've been kind of struggling on an unclimbable mountain and and you can't move. And you're hoping that maybe a voice will cry out and say, don't be afraid. There's good news for you. The shepherds Believed that promise, and they transitioned from falling down in fear to hurrying in hope. Their their hope had, had legs on it. Their hope drove them to walk somewhere, to move in a direction where they had heard God speak. It said, when the angels left, the shepherds said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about it. The shepherds survived this This life threatening encounter, and they realize that they have nothing to lose. If what the angels have said is true, if there really is a Messiah and he lives within, he's existing within walking distance of where we are, that's a game changer. That prevents a completely alternate view of reality than the one that we've been living in. And on the flip side, If the angels were wrong or if we have just been kind of hallucinating in the middle of the night and there, there isn't a baby or there is a baby and he's not the Messiah, then all that needs to happen is that we go back to work. We had a welcome diversion in the middle of our midnight shift. If there's a chance that the promise might be true, you have to move in that direction or you have to choose to drown in despair. I'm grateful for both individuals who got baptized in both of our service for sharing us their hope transition moment, their moment to lean into, maybe it's true. Maybe there is a Jesus who knows me and loves me and came to this earth to to walk through all of the expectations and all of the disappointments and all the struggles that I have had and then lays down his life so that I could truly live. Maybe that's true, and if it's true, it's worth a step in that direction. And that's what the shepherds did. They they started in fear and they transitioned to hope and their hope drove them to this manger. And when they got there, they witnessed something. It says, they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who is lying in the manger. It says, when they had seen him, they examined tangible evidence. Like they saw everything that had happened just as the angels had promised them. And when they were there, they're like, okay, we believe. A friend of mine told me this, he goes, a skeptic is somebody who won't believe until they see evidence. He goes, a cynic is somebody who won't believe even if there is. I've been reading the book of Acts and I was kind of struck by this line at the end of the book of Acts where Paul says, it says that Paul was sharing the gospel with people in Rome and it said some people would not believe him. Doesn't mean that they couldn't believe him, it means that they chose not to believe him. But the shepherds, they had known fear and they'd known hope and when they were confronted with the evidence of the Messiah, they could do nothing but lean in. It says they saw him. And I believe that it's, it's no accident That Jesus met these, like the the least of their society in the shape of a child. I don't know if you've spent any time around babies lately, but the least, the, the one emotion that you don't feel when you're around a baby, there's a lot of emotions that you do feel. You feel joy, you sense beauty. Some of us feel nostalgia. The one emotion that you never feel when you're around a baby is intimidation. Like there's nothing, there's nothing threatening about a baby unless you've never had one before and you're responsible for their livelihood. Then it's intimidating, right? But like the baby itself doesn't make you feel afraid. And I believe that God comes to us in ways that we can receive when everything else in our lives feels like it's tumbling down. And when the shepherds meet the baby, they they understand two realities. The first is that they are not alone in this universe. And the second is that God loves them. God loves them. God met them in a practical, a tangible, and an immediate way. And some of you, you're followers of Jesus Christ, and you can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, just like our friends who just got baptized, I've seen God, maybe not in a physical sense, but I have had a bona fide encounter with the Savior of the universe, and as a result of that exchange, as a result of that encounter, that meeting, I'm transformed. See, when the shepherds walked back, from their encounter with Mary and Joseph and Jesus, there was nothing that externally changed their dynamics. Like, they, they, didn't, get, they didn't get new houses, they didn't get cash and prizes, they didn't get a promotion, they didn't get a pile of money. none of their political alliances or allegiances changed. They were still subject to all of the violence and the terror of the Roman Empire. The one thing that changed was what it was them? They were were changed from the inside out as a result of that encounter. And some of us, we can't say with certainty that we've ever had that kind of exchange with with this Jesus. And it's our hope for you that over these weeks leading up to Christmas and at the Christmas experience, the message of Jesus Christ would be laid out for you with such crystal clarity that you you would be able to see him maybe for the first time. And that those of you who have seen him, but, you, but your walk with God has grown stale. Or your encounter with God is no longer fresh. It's my prayer for you that you would see him anew this Christmas season. And that that encounter would change you as well. They fell down in fear, but they hurried in hope. And then they, then they witnessed the word. They had this encounter with Jesus. And then as a result, they told the story. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. It says, and everyone who heard it was amazed. Everyone who heard it was amazed. And it's my hope that those of us who have seen him would lean into these weeks leading up to Christmas and beyond, taking full advantage of people's curiosity about the season and maybe people's very real struggle with despair heading into the holidays and say, I want, to, I want to tell you the Christmas story in such a way that you would believe that it matters for you. And that as a result, you would not be inspired, but you would be amazed. My hope is that we would live the kind of lives that are constantly telling the story of who Jesus is because we have seen fear, we have known hope, and we have seen the Messiah. And in the seeing, in the knowing, in the receiving, we've been changed. And if it's true, you can't not tell the story of Jesus, the light of the world. If it's true, you can't help but proclaim Jesus, the hope, to the hopeless. The story doesn't just end with the shepherds explaining what they saw. It shows that people responded with awe, and it showed that the shepherds were filled with unchecked joy, unbridled jubilation, unfiltered praise. Telling the story wasn't just good for the people who heard it, it was good for the people who told it. When we tell the story, God moves, and like the shepherds, we get to return rejoicing. It says that the shepherds returned to glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I believe that God is inviting us to invite others into the Christmas story, a story with hope, a story with redemption, a story that speaks to transformation. So that the next steps that I want to challenge those of you who call Central Home and those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, identify... Three to five people that you could invite to the Christmas experience so that they could maybe see God in a way that they haven't been able to see him for the very first time. And if you're trying to figure out who you should ask, well, ask yourself this question. Who in my life is is a spiritually curious person? Or who in my life is maybe going through crisis and they they could use a shot of hope this season? Or who in my life is, is new to town or new at the office who is looking to settle into some new kind of Christmas traditions locally, and this could be a great way for them to put something on the calendar that they could look forward headed into Christmas. So identify who God has already put into your, into your mix. And then the next part of that challenge is, is intercede. That's just a fancy word that means pray for them. Pray that God would prepare their hearts for the gift that he wants to give them this season. Pray that God would use you and your story and your encouragement to break through those dark corners in their life with, with the light and the love and the compassion of Christ. So identify them, intercede for them, and then finally, in, in, invite them. Invite them to any one of these three Christmas experience services. It's Friday evening, Saturday evening, and if they can't make those, there's a sun, Sunday morning. And I want us to be believing that God has a gift that he wants to give people that will take them out of, out of places that God does not intend them to stay. So rather than, rather than take my word for it, I want you to hear from uh, our worship arts pastor, Nate Mariolke, and a good friend of his who's going to be joining us for the Christmas experience as you hear about what that service is going to look like. So let's check this out together.
1: Hey everybody, here in downtown Grand Rapids, Michigan with artist, author, and communicator, and my friend, Eric Samuel Tim. Hey man, welcome to West Michigan. Yeah, thanks man, I'm glad to be here. Hey man, super pumped because in a few weeks you're gonna be with us for our Christmas experience. Yep. Um, we're gonna talk about that in a minute, but first I want the folks to get to know ya. So can you tell us where you're from, about your family?
2: Hey, I live in Rochester, Minnesota, uh, which is where the Mayo Clinic actually is. Oh yeah. And I've been married for 18 years, To my wife, Danielle, absolutely, Uh, just such an amazing journey. Part of that journey involves uh, three kids, nine, six, and four. You know how that is. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So if if I look tired, or you look tired, that's, well, because we are. Yeah, right. (laughs) And we have a dog. Uh, She thinks she's boss, like like
1: most dogs. (laughs) Nice, man. Um, We've actually been able to work together in ministry before, actually in Rochester, Michigan. And um, so I've had a front row seat to what you do, and I love it. Um, you paint this amazing painting. In fact, the first time I saw you, you started painting this thing, and I said, I was thinking, I have no idea what this is, what this is going to be. And then you flip it over, and all of a sudden it becomes clear. And you don't just paint, that would be amazing enough. You come out and you communicate, and you share the gospel in such a powerful way. And I've literally seen you connect with every age group, from preteens to our legacy generation. And I think it's because art really connects with every age group when you couple that. With the power of the gospel it's a powerful combination
2: yeah i I agree and to your point about art connecting with sort of a wide group of humanity Mm -hmm. it's like when my daughter puts her picture from preschool on the fridge oh yeah anybody at any age who's connected to me and my family appreciates that art right i think also art is well for the gospel the arts you know it's the vehicle that resonates so deeply with the world, uh, humanity—it puts a message in something, and, and it brings it to where it needs to go, and that's the powerful combination of, of the two, I think. Yeah, love that, you, that that you're speaking
1: to. Love that. So you, so you've been traveling quite a bit lately. You know, you're you're actually just about ready to go on this tour with Caleb on this yeah. Christmas tour. You're going to be working with artists like Big Daddy Weave and actually one of my favorite worship leaders, Kim. Walker Smith from Jesus Culture yeah. and that's so great that you get to get out there and do that. So what are some of the things that you've seen when you've been on the road and you're, and you're doing this ministry? What kind of lives have you seen impacted?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of times when you're referencing a tour or let's just say a concert, a conference, or a, an event where there's a stage, mm-hmm. a lot of times we can look at that stage and we can say that's the big thing that happened. But so too often, what happens after the stage, well, is arguably larger yeah. or, or bigger. I mean, yeah. I can think of just recently um, at a large event, uh, a large gathering of people. There was a dad that committed his life to Christ. Awesome. And then after that, think about the, you know, the residual effects yeah. of that father with his family. Mm-hmm. What's bigger? The, the moment in the room or the moment after the room that carried him. I mean, I remember at a show that I did with Jesus Culture and Kim, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there again, big, huge arena, a lot of lights, you mm-hmm. know, amazing moment. But then, you know, Reggie, the security guard backstage, it was checking passes and I was able to pray with him and see his life. Transformed with the gospel. Those are the big moments. And I think the big moment on the stage really is the doorway for the real thing, especially when we're, you know, out of the way, so to speak.
1: I love that. The big moments in ministry kind of happen after the big moment. You know? Yeah. So in, in just a, a few weeks, we're going to be working together in ministry. Again, we're going to be, you're going to be coming to our Christmas experience. So we're getting everybody together. We're getting the worship team, the orchestra, the choir, our worship leaders, our pastors. Everybody. You're going to come in, everybody's coming. And and we're going to, to gather and we're going to have this Christmas experience. We're calling it Painting Hope, a mm-hmm. Christmas experience, yeah. where you're going to minister, our team's going to minister. Love it. And what I really believe is that as people come together, we're gonna to be able to, to speak the gospel in such a way that reaches people right where they're at.
2: Because that's really what it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, this experience is allowing people to be met where they're at, just like Jesus meets us where we are at. Yeah. That grace, mm-hmm. that moment, but that truth refuses to leave us there. You know, It's something that's gonna yeah. happen after the something. Yeah. And when I think about these events, in a nature or these special things that we do as the church or at church or as the church Mm -hmm. it really is a sort of a bridge Mm -hmm. there's this bridge that we all become that allows us to meet people where they're at and god to bring them where they're supposed to be Mm -hmm. he uses us i think collectively as the church to be that bridge yeah. And I think that's really what's beautiful about what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. We get yeah. to have that opportunity.
1: Yeah, we get to be the bridge. And, and so Central Wesley, one of the big reasons why we do an event like Painting Hope, this Christmas experience coming up, is so that we can reach our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, our relatives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guys, we are all in this together. And if there anything that this world needs, it is the gospel of Jesus impacting family members and dads and moms and kids and guys we get to come together and we get to do this together it's not just a church putting this on for for people in the pews this is us together reaching our community being that bridge as Eric talked about and so this is what I want to encourage us and even challenge us in think about the people you're going to invite to this they're going to be able to hear a clear presentation of the Gospel of Jesus Also, think about praying for this event. We need the power of the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God that changes lives. We can do everything well and excellent, but we need the Spirit of God to move and change lives. And guys, I'm believing for a miracle. And I believe the greatest miracle is when somebody who's far from God puts their faith in Jesus and finds their place in God's story. I'm so excited about that. Eric? I'm really excited about you coming to be a part of this, man.
2: Yeah, me too. I'm just praying that this Christmas season would really, well, you know, kind of, in a sense, be a prelude to the season of Christ. Love that. And someone in this community, in the neighbor past the highway or byway that that needs that message, you know, this holiday. Yeah. That's, I think, gonna be life-changing.
0: Let you know that I certainly echo uh, Nate's sentiment and his heart. We really are believing that God's going to use this Christmas experience gift, not, not just to encourage and inspire us, but to be a gift uh, to people in our relational networks, people that we've never met before, strangers who wander, who hear about this event and kind of wandering off the streets to be a part of it. We're, we really are believing that God wants to give people hope. So join me in praying uh, in the days leading up to this event, but certainly starting right now that God would use our courage, our compassion, and our boldness to create the relational connections that are required uh, for people to find the truth and the heart of Jesus Christ in a new and powerful way this Christmas. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for Eric Samuel Tim, and I thank you for Nate Murielki, and I thank you for all of the other just amazing people that you have brought to Central with creative and artistic gifts We thank you how from the very beginning of creation you have used artistry to communicate your heart and personhood to us, your people. God, I just pray that you would go before us in the days leading up to the Christmas experience. I pray that your hand would be on every single choice, every single detail, every piece of logistics that goes into putting this event together. But God, I pray that even now you would impress on us people that we might not have ever even thought to consider or invite, that you would press their names on our hearts and their faces on our minds, and that you would open doors that are natural and not imposing and non-threatening and non-dogmatic for us to casually yet boldly invite people to experience you in a new and a powerful way this season. God, I just pray that if there's anything in the physical or spiritual realm that would prevent people from being open to you at this event and in this season, I pray that you would remove it now in the name of Jesus by the power of the Spirit so that prodigals could find their way back home and people who are lost could be found and people who are blind uh, could have their eyes open to who you are. So God, I just pray that we would end our time together uh, that you would give us the infusion of boldness, and joy and confidence and anticipation uh, to be a part of this journey where we're pulling people into the Christmas story maybe for the very first time. We pray these things in your name.